How did you happen to get in here? I ran here. You scared the daylights out of me last night. Seems like the truth shouldn't scare anybody, man or boy. Hello everyone and welcome to When It Was Cool Dark. I'm your host Carl Stern. Thank you very much for joining me. This podcast is produced and distributed by WhenItWasCool.com. I invite you to check out our website. I see what all we have to offer. Lots and lots of free shows, not just When It Was Cool Dark. We have a whole podcasting network dealing with retro pop culture. That's music, sports, TV, movies, and much, much more. I think you'll find a lot of fun stuff over there. And if you're so inclined, if you would become a Patreon supporter at WhenItWasCool.com, you'll get instant access to over 2,000 shows in our podcast archive. More stuff than you can listen to in a, in a month's time. You're, you're going to want to come in, check it all out, have a lot of fun. Plus, it's the entire back archives of When It Was Cool Dark. This show will be changing formats very uh, soon, very imminently, as we wrap up our series, 100 of the Darkest Moments in Pop Culture History. Uh, we're now uh, nearing the conclusion of that series, at which point in time we're going to take a week off reboot the show, and come back with a uh, new format, new style, new topics. We're going to be discussing mysteries, uh, chasing down things of, of science, the paranormal. It's how this show started. It's how this show spun off of Brian Alvarez's uh, After Dark program. It uh, was uh, picked up by the uh, Dark Matter Digital Network, and uh, for a long time, we were about that. Uh, ever so often, we changed the show format up to keep it from being uh, stagnant and being boring and getting uh you know running its course and and uh this series was envisioned as a way to bring it more in line with the content at when it was school.com retro pop culture so we're about to change hope you'll be here to change with us the new show is going to be quite controversial i think it will be one of the most important shows you'll listen to uh every time it comes out so Stick around, check it out, whenitwascool.com. Bookmark us, and uh, you'll know then when all the new stuff comes out on whichever program we're talking about. Now, as I said, this is 100 of the darkest moments in pop culture history. And to me, this is this one is a is a interesting type show because uh, it's, a, it's a deep dive. And I love these deep dives, finding out about things I never knew before. And this one, we're going to have to go back into history uh, quite a ways. But it's an early Hollywood mystery, an early Hollywood scandal of sort. Uh, is there is there something to this that is uh, that is uh, sinister? Remember, we we've talked a lot about our uh, different. Um, you know, when we we get, start giving biographies of of the different people in this series, we get to this point where we say, "However," or "And then," and the the tone changes because they land on this series for a reason. We're going to talk today about Thomas H. 
NC. And you may be saying, like I said, who's that? No idea. Well, I came across an interesting story about him and and who he was. And uh, no, he's not a a current uh, personality. But in the early part of the 1900s, he was extremely important in popular culture. Thomas H. Ensi was a pioneering American silent film producer, director, screenwriter, and actor. He was active in the earliest days of the movie-making industry. He was involved with more than 100 films, and he pioneered. Uh, he was a pioneering studio mogul, uh, known as the father of the Western. So that's a, that's a pretty important title, right? The father of the Western. Westerns uh, were for... Uh, many years, that's you know, 50 years probably, were the dominant uh, popular movie at the theaters. So think about how many TV shows, movies, and spinoffs, and, and uh, toys, and, and uh, books, and more have been written about tales about the Wild West. Very short period of time in American history when you look back at it. It wasn't like the, quote, Wild West, those stories we get of the, the Western frontier. It wasn't like that, ex- that you know, extended across 100 years or so. No, it was actually a very short time, but my goodness, the popular culture, the tales, the legends, the mis- mythology that spun off that is incredible. And Thomas H. N.C. was the father of the Western movie. He invented many a mechanism of professional uh, movie production. For instance, uh, he introduced early Hollywood to the assembly line system of filmmaking. Uh, There's a lot of his stuff that's uh, undocumented, lost, but yet there's over 100 films we know about, and uh, including very revolutionary films. The Seven Ages from 1905, he was an actor in that movie. He got his start as an actor, actually. By 1911, he was regularly directing uh, movies, Artful Katie, um, Sweet Memories in 1911, Across the Plains, The Invaders, Custard's Last Fight, uh, The Deserter, Granddad, uh, Shadow of the Past, 1913, The Battle of Gettysburg, The Last of the Line, The Death Mask, and, and so on and it goes. So he was a, a very big star in Hollywood's first uh, big, uh, well, the, the pioneer era for, for Hollywood. So he's a big deal. However, and he's got, he ends up on the list of the 100 darkest moments in pop culture history for some reason. And maybe, maybe not. It's a mystery. Uh, maybe he just died a natural death at the age of 42, I believe. And uh, maybe not, excuse me, age of 44. Or maybe not. Thomas Ensi's death at the age of 44 has been the subject of much speculation and scandal with rumors of murder, mystery, and jealousy. And it doesn't doesn't help matters that one of the most famous, most powerful people in America, perhaps the world, certainly in America, one of the most powerful people in the world uh, is involved in this mystery. We'll talk about it here in just a moment. The official cause of Thomas Ensi's death was heart failure. Well, it's not very dramatic. It's not very mysterious. Well, let's dig a little deeper. Witnesses, including his widow, Nell, 
corroborate that his medical that his medical condition brought about his death. Rumors and sensationalism continued decades later, fueled with the 2001 release of the movie The Cat's Meow. So back in 2001, this story's brought back up, and it is a <clears throat> there's a lots of grounds for sensationalism in this. To be sure, why? Because NC and perhaps you've heard this name before. William Randolph Hearst, yes, one of the most powerful media moguls that's ever been in America, certainly the the person running media, you know, newspapers back then, but certainly uh, in today's terms, I don't know, like a, he's, he's was really even more powerful, I would say, than a, a Murdoch or, or a Turner or somebody like that that uh, you might be familiar with today. I mean, he was, because... Media was really confined to the newspapers back at that that period of time. Uh, you know, he had so much control over it that the news you got largely came through William Randolph Hearst and uh, his uh, subsidiaries. They had been negotiating a deal under which Hearst Cosmopolitan Productions would use NC's studio. Hearst visited NC at his home. His Dios Dorados Estate at 1051 Benedict Canyon Drive. On Saturday, November 15th, uh, this being uh, 1921, make sure I got that year correct. I wanted to say 24. I'm, I was correct. Should have went with my initial, initial reaction, 1924. On Saturday, November 15th, 1924, uh, and invited him for a weekend cruise on his yacht to honor NC's birthday and to work out the details of the NC Cosmopolitan uh, deal. So, uh, big time uh, money maker, big time movie director, big time media mogul, a one of the early, you know, uh, conglomerations here. Lots of money at stake. However. The story's going to go wrong. According to NC's widow, Nell, NC took a train to San Diego, where he joined the guests the next morning. At dinner that Sunday night, the group celebrated his birthday, but later, NC suffered an acute bout of indigestion due to his consumption of salted almonds and champagne. Both were forbidden, as he had peptic ulcers. He was accompanied by Dr. Goodman, a licensed, though non-practicing physician, and NC traveled by train to Del Mar, where he was taken to a hotel and given medical treatment by a second doctor and a nurse. NC then summoned his wife and Dr. Ida Cowan-Glasgow, who was NC's personal physician. Isn't it amazing how it never ceases to amaze me, I should say, all these very famous actors actresses and stuff that have their own personal doctors that seems a little sketchy right uh, michael jackson uh, very famously comes to mind elvis very famously comes to mind uh, b- both of which their doctors uh, you know had there were questions about their involvement in those stars death deaths it seems like that's just a, a thing that very rich very famous people do is have a doctor on hand you know it's it's pretty sketchy i would say here, even back in 1924, seemed to be the case. Dr. Ida Cohen-Glasgow, who was NC's personal physician, went with him to Del Mar with NC's eldest son, William, 
uh, who accompanied them as well. The group traveled by train to his Los Angeles home where he died. Nell said that NC had been treated for chest pains called by angina. But years later, his son William became a physician and said his father's illness resembled thrombosis. So this all, again, sounds, you know, hey, natural. 44-year-old guy, 1924, you know, it's not usual, but it's not that hyper-unusual. People have heart attacks all the time. Sounds like a guy had some underlying uh, health problems, right? Where, where does the however come into this story? Dr. Glasgow signed the death certificate citing heart failures to cause a death. The front page of the Wednesday morning Los Angeles Times supposedly sensationalized the story. And here is your however. The headlines of the paper say, Movie producer shot on Hearst Yacht. Okay, so imagine somebody gets shot on Rupert Murdoch's yacht, shot on Ted Turner's yacht, shot on you know whatever name your your media mogul, media tycoon, you know Tim Cook, whatever, get shot on their yacht. That's a story. Not only does it rhyme, not only does it have you know good cadence to it, uh, you know, that gets your attention, right? How how did we get to this? How did we get to this from a possible heart attack brought on by eating salted almonds? Seems like a bit of a leap there, right? The headlines vanished that afternoon. Recalled the paper. On November 20th, Los Angeles Times published NC's obituary citing heart disease and the cause of death along with his failing health from an automobile accident two years earlier. A month later, the New York Times reported that San Diego District Attorney announced that NC's death was caused by heart failure and no further investigation was necessary. Both NC and his wife were practicing uh, theospiasts who preferred cremation and arranged it long before his death. Well, you know, you get rid of the body there. Rumors prevailed that NC's widow suddenly departed the country after her husband's death. She actually left for Europe about seven months later in July 1925. So it's one of those later, you know, inventions that support, you know, whatever story. However, however, there's our word. However, several conflicting stories circulated about the incident, often revolving around a claim that Hearst shot NC in the head after mistaking him for famous silent film era actor Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Ch- why was he trying to shoot Charlie Chaplin? What is what is going on here? Well, Chaplin's valet Torichi Kono claimed to have seen NC when he came ashore by way of stretcher in San Diego. Kono told his wife that NC's head was bleeding from a bullet wound. The story quickly spread around among Japanese domestic workers throughout Beverly Hills. Charles Letter, the nephew of Hearst's longtime partner, Marion Davies, also told a similar story to uh, Peter Bananovich, the director of The Cat's Meow. Eleanor Glenn, who was on the yacht, told Eleanor Boardman that everyone aboard the yacht had been sworn to secrecy about the events, which would indicate more than a death under natural circumstances. But during NC's funeral, the Los Angeles Times noted that his casket would remain open for one hour 
to afford friends and studio employees to pass for one last glimpse of the man they loved and respected, with no witnesses ever mentioning a bullet wound. Of course, that's, you know, in a, in a skilled mortician. That's, you know, if the wound's not too great, well, that's something we covered up. Uh, NC's body was then cremated November 21st in Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Uh, and the ashes returned to his family on December 24th, 1924, who reportedly scattered them at sea. Movie columnist uh, Luella Parsons' name also figured into the NC scandal, with some speculating that she had been aboard the, uh, the yacht that fatal day. When the yacht sailed, Parsons was a New York movie columnist for one of Hearst's papers. Supposedly, after the NC affair, Hearst gave her a lifetime contract and expanded her syndication. However, other sources show that Parsons did not gain her position with Hearst as part of Hush Money, but had been the motion picture editor of the Hearst-owned uh, New York uh New York payroll. Boy, we've heard a lot about hush money. That's uh, that's <laughs> that's uh, topical, right? Uh, had been a motion picture editor for Hearst owned uh, New York American in December 1923, and her contract was a was signed a year before NC's death. So probably nothing to that story. Again, facts added after the fact. Another story circulated that Hearst provided Nell Insel with the trust fund just before she left for Europe and that Hearst paid off Insel's mortgage on his uh, apartment building in Hollywood. But Nell was left a very wealthy woman and the apartment she had already owned and had built on the grounds where the Insel home once stood. Years later, Hearst spoke to a journalist about the rumor that he had murdered Thomas Insel. Quote, not only am I innocent of the NC, this NC murder, so is everybody else. Nell NC herself was increasingly frustrated over the Hearst rumors surrounding her husband's death and remarked, quote, do you think I would have done nothing if I even suspected my husband had been the victim of foul play on anyone's part? But the myth of NC's death overshadowed his reputation as a pioneering filmmaker and his role in the growth of the film industry. His studio was sold soon after he died. His final film, Enticement, a romance set in the French Alps, was released after his death in 1925. When we come back, we'll take a look at more rumors surrounding his death. What's this all about? Was Thomas Hearst trying to murder Charlie Chaplin and shot the wrong man? What in the world's going on? We'll be back right after this. Peer Review is a cancer from outer space. It came from the biomedical community. It invaded science. Um, the old system, because I have to say this because many people who are now professional scientists have an idea that peer review has always been in our literature and it absolutely has not. Do not be alarmed. 370 dark. 371. Darker. Once again, let me invite you to uh, sign up to our website, whenitwascool.com. Become a Patreon supporter. Get instant access to over 2,000 podcasts in our archive dealing with pop culture, retro pop culture, history, and more. If you're a fan of history like I am, we have lots of stuff, especially from a pop culture perspective. You grew up liking toys, cartoons, video games, sports, movies, TV, 
We've got all that and much, much more at whenitwascool.com. Hope you'll support us and get the access to the entire back archives of When It Was Cool Dark. And that's just one of our many shows on our podcasting network. So the New England Historical Society uh, dove into the death of Thomas Ensey. Uh, again, very interested. And this, this isn't, I wouldn't attribute this so much to poor reporting or, or typos or whatever. Uh, there's there's a discrepancy on the age coming up here, the New England Historical Society versus uh, what we've just learned about Thomas Ensey's death. A, a lot of times, it's been my experience in doing history research and stuff, back in the early 1900s, there was often a discrepancy. And, and even to this day amongst celebrities, there is often uh, a... a uh, correction of a few years oftentimes actors trying to make themselves younger or whatever will shave a few years off their date of birth so he was either 42 or 44 or somewhere right in there new england historical society says 42 previous sources say 44 somewhere in there too young to be dying of a well gunshot wound or heart attack whatever it may be New England Historical Society says the death of Thomas Ensey just after his 42nd birthday party was as legendary as some of the movies he produced. As with many Hollywood legends, it didn't have much truth to it. Born into a showbiz business family on November 16th in the year uh, 1882 in Newport, Rhode Island, Ensey rose from failure as a stage actor to success as the first film tycoon. He pioneered the system of movie making still in use today before he left a yacht uh, owned by newspaper mogul William Randolph Hearst. Thomas Ensey died several days later, his body quickly cremated. Even before the funeral, suspicions mounted about his death. The rumor mill churned out the story that Hearst believed his mistress, who was Marion Davies, cheated on him with Charlie Chaplin. Davis and Chaplin had joined them on the boat. The rumors surfaced that Hearst actually shot Thomas Ensey by accident, intending to shoot Davies, Charlie Chaplin, or both of them. Thomas Ensey entered the family business at age six, acting and later singing at funerals and weddings. His father, John Pop Ensey, started out as a vaudeville comedian, but then worked as a theatrical agent. His mother sang comic opera under the stage name Emma Bremnan or Emma Jones. Thomas made his Broadway debut at the age of 15 and formed an unsuccessful vaudeville company. At 28, he talked his way into a job with a small independent film company in 1910. At the time, Thomas Edison's Motion Pictures Patents Company tried to crush all independent producers. So he went to Cuba with Mary Pickford and Owen Moore to make movies. But only in Hollywood could Thomas Ensey make films that he yearned to make, westerns and Civil War dramas. He borrowed a suit from a friend, a large diamond ring from a jeweler, and walked into the offices of the New York Motion Picture Company. The firm had opened a studio to make westerns on the West Coast, and he got the job. Thomas Ensey, his young wife, Nell, who we've just uh, talked about, and his small entourage went to Indel, California to make films. There he began to revolutionize movie making. He invented the shooting script, 
He then acquired 460 acres and created the first movie studio called Innsville. It has sound stages, offices, sets, dressing rooms, and a commissary. NC hired a Wild West show, replete with cowboys, cattle, Indians, who set up their teepees on the property. The teepees set cheek by jowl with a fake Swiss landscape, a Japanese village, a Puritan settlement, mansions, and cottages. NC went on to produce, to organize production methods, putting uh, the producer in charge of the film instead of the director and the cameraman. He also invented the five-reel film with uh, when two reels were the standard of the day. Fires eventually destroyed his uh, little studio city there, and uh, Thomas N.C. created Triangle Studios, along with Max Sennett and D.W. Griffith. Three years later, he founded the studios in Culver City that would later become, you may have heard of it, MGM. On that lot would later be filmed such classics as Gone with the Wind, King Kong, Lassie, and, speaking of William Randolph Hearst, Citizen Kane. Thomas N.C. sold out a few years later and formed, you may have heard of this company, Paramount Pictures, along with Adolf Zucker. Then he moved on to form his own studio again. At Thomas H. N.C. Studios, he made a few memorable films, Anna Christie, and human wreckage, but he lost power and influence to competing studios. By 1924, the rumor mill had Thomas N.C. edging toward bankruptcy. Supposedly, he wanted to make a deal with Hearst to rescue his fortunes. On November 16th, he boarded Hearst's lavish yacht as a guest of honor. It was his 42nd birthday. Charlie Chaplin, Marion Davies, actress uh, Eleanor Glenn also boarded the yacht. They celebrated his birthday at dinner, and sometime afterwards, he suffered acute indigestion. He had drank champagne and eaten salted almonds, which were forbidden to him because he suffered from a peptic ulcer. Though allegations of a cover-up surfaced, after his death, the real cover-up had to do with his failing health. N.C. worked at a killing pace, and his co-workers had seen him double over in pain with indigestion. He also suffered chest pains and, toward the end of his life, insomnia. A physician aboard the yacht, Dr. Goodman, diagnosed N.C. as extremely ill. A water taxi took him ashore, and a train brought him to Los Angeles. N.C. got worse on the train and was taken off at Del Mar, where he was treated at a hotel. He went home the next day, November 19th, and died. The death certificate, as we mentioned, said he died of heart failure. But the front page of the Los Angeles Times ran a headline that said, Movie producer shot on Hearst yacht. Those headlines soon disappeared, and the Hearst newspapers reported NC had taken ill at Hearst's home, San Simon. Chaplin's valet said he saw NC bleeding from a bullet wound to the forehead. You know, when you got powerful people controlling the media when they're involved in something not so unheard of to cover this stuff up till a story that benefits your side your perspective your politics whatever the case may be song remains the same right more things change the more they stay the same 
New England Historical Society continues by saying uh, rumors proliferated about what really happened. Hearst caught Chaplin and Davies in a compromising position and shot NC by accident. Hearst poisoned NC. An assassin hired to kill Hearst killed NC instead. Hearst stabbed NC in the heart with a hat pin. Adding to the confusion were lies and denials told by Hearst's guests. But before his body was cremated, it lay in an open coffin for an hour for viewing. No one saw a bullet in his forehead. The story, however, has lived on in a mystery written by Hearst's granddaughter, Patty, and in a film called Cat's Beow. Very, uh, you know, it, it's one of these things that, that puts me in mind of very much our media today. And again, you know, song remains the same. In that the distrust is palpable. Uh, we're, we'll certainly be addressing this a lot when, uh, when it was cool, dark. Uh, changes formats coming up here when we relaunch the show. Uh, we'll be looking at mysteries and things like that. A lot of times, mysteries that seem far-fetched, uh, you know, unbelievable otherwise, are believed and, and picked up largely because of the distrust of the media. The media has earned such distrust over the years, and you see this dating all the way back to 1924, it's far worse today. As speaking as somebody who has worked with the media for many, many, many years, I've seen, I've saw them firsthand outright lie, fabricate, and uh, mythologize simple stories, stories that have no real impact beyond a, you know, a small local level that were just outright wrong. There is one story that involved my uncle, who is now a passed away, rest in peace, a story that was ran about him back during the uh, COVID era. And, of course, boy, wasn't there a lot of suspect, suspicious uh, you know, newspaper, uh, TV uh, news about that during that time well they ran uh, this is my uncle now this isn't like somebody i just randomly know no this is a person i've grown up my whole life knowing he was 10 years older than me and uh spent a great deal of time around my uncle they ran a story about him he had he had gotten covid and he got uh he un unfortunately came down with the long uh covid and it caused him a lot of health problems and uh, he was a he was a preacher at a church and so uh a news uh, news. Uh, it was actually a TV news group. Uh, they ran the story on their news and 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 uh, on their website as well. Came out to do a story on him, and I, I'm not. And you could trust me on this one. I'm not exaggerating at all. I, I showed this not long ago to one of my coworkers. Every single sentence in the story had either a grammatical or factual error in the story. Every single sentence. This was a story that was about, it wasn't a particularly long story, about a page long or a printed page long, uh, five or six paragraphs, maybe, I don't know, maybe seven or eight paragraphs. But every single sentence contained a factual, grammatical or spelling error, spelling names wrong, places wrong, titles wrong, people wrong, 
the story wrong. And the point being, if for something as inconsequential and small as a small rural area preacher who virtually nobody outside his area ever knew of, ever would know, ever would have heard of, if you can't even get the basic details of that right, how am I supposed to trust you on big-time stories? Especially when your big-time story, your big-time TV uh, news movers are so incentivized by uh, inflammatory politics that keep people angry and coming back. You could easily make people on the left easily mad with the simplest of things. And you can make people on the right easily mad with the simplest of things. And that's good business because it keeps them mad, keeps them coming back, keeps them hating other people. And there you go. There's just no, it's, it's, it's no wonder. It is no mystery why we don't trust the media. And when you have a story like this, it's Thomas Enzi's story, where the most powerful person in media at this time, there was nobody as powerful that controlled as much uh, of the the news media, the newspaper media, as William Randolph Hearst. I mean, he was the, the power mover at the time. And, of course, there's going to be suspicions about what he says in his own papers, right? There's going to be suspicions about it. He can tell whatever story he wants. There was either a heart attack, a shooting, or, at best-case scenario, a birthday party on his yacht. How are we expected to believe he's going to report the truth about any of it? It's absolutely, uh, it's absolutely no surprise that it people have questions that stories arise and can you imagine if social media had been around in this day what would have been what would have been said it's uh this points less to what happened to thomas is who knows you know who knows could there have been a cover-up of course there could have was there uh maybe not uh his uh, his widow certainly doesn't suspect so, but we're supposed we're supposed to quote trust someone that is absolutely untrustworthy. Recently, I uh, I reread for the first time in many 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 years Animal Farm, George Orwell. What an incredible book! That that book is so eye opening for twenty twenty three more so than probably when it was written in nineteen forty five is absolutely speaks to the different types of people out there. There's the people who want to tell the story their way, want to do things their way. There's the people that are going to support those people, no matter what they say, how ludicrous or otherwise, who are going to follow the, quote, official explanation and die on, on, that, on that ground. They're going to make, die on that hill. And there's others who are just going to parrot the story, the sheep. There are others who are going to be argumentative about everything. There are those who could not care less. They're more care. Uh, they're more concerned about their reflection in the mirror. 
George Orwell's Animal Farm, which I'm going to be doing a book review on it here coming up pretty soon when it was cool. Well worth your time to to reread. What an incredible book. And stories like this just remind me of how here we are in 2023. A story like this could easily take place. Uh, the media controlling the narrative. How are we supposed to ever believe you when we can believe? It, it, at best, even if you're telling the truth, you have plenty of reasons to lie. You have plenty of, you know, uh, laid plenty of groundwork that you're going to lie. There's plenty of reasons not to believe. And then people get mad. Oh, how can these people say these ridiculous things on social media? How can they post all these ridiculous fake news stories and all that? How can this happen? How could it not happen? How could it not happen? Because nowadays, and apparently as far back as 1924, if a major news company says something, says, you know, the sky is blue, the average everyday person has every right in the world to come out and say, no, the sky is red because for, for no other reason than the news media says it's blue. So they must, they're, they must be lying. Why are they telling us it's blue? I look up, I see the sky is blue. They must have had some part in coloring it or they've, uh, you know, there's some sort of sinister plot behind why the sky is blue because the fact is it's red because the media told it's blue. It's just, and politics and the media have ruined their reputation with with the uh, with the common everyday sane people out here in 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 the middle who just are rational people and I think it's a shame and this just goes back to further illustrate it how did Thomas NC die who knows died who knows why uh, I think the story speaks more to more to the media versus um, the true story than it does to whatever killed Thomas Ensi. Heart attack, presumably. Well, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for joining me here. And I hope you found this show thought-provoking. Uh, check us out over at whenitwascool.com. Hope you'll become a Patreon supporter. And uh, coming up soon, we'll be relaunching the show with some very, very interesting stuff. Coming up pretty soon, this is going to be one of the most important shows you listen to every single time it comes out and i hope you'll join us here when it was cool.com and i'll see you here with again soon with another show hey everybody carl here i got a true story for you the other day i ran through the mcdonald's drive through i didn't have much uh, lunch options so i said i you know grab something here from mcdonald's so i grabbed just a, a standard uh, a meal there, one of their numbered meals, uh, a double quarter pounder meal. I didn't upsize it or anything, just got it as it came. Ten bucks, ten dollars for this meal. And look, the fries were terrible. You know how sometimes you get McDonald's fries are awesome, and sometimes they've been sitting there a minute and eh, not so good. Well, there I was. Uh, ten bucks spent on this utterly unremarkable, two not very good meal. That is literally two months worth of patreon support at when it was cool and we have two thousand podcasts for you to listen to listen i want you to just do me a favor if you're not a patreon supporter at when it was cool i want you to go right there right now when it was cool.com hit any of the patreon buttons give me one month 
come on in one month, five bucks. And as soon as you get in, I want you to just start downloading shows, start saving them to your device, saving them to your computer, listen to them later. I want you to quote, steal as much content as you can. Because I think you're going to really like what you hear. I think you're going to love the variety. I think you're going to love the fun. And I think you're going to come back for more. You're going to say, hey, that was the best five months I've spent this month. Surely better than that $10 meal I got through the drive-thru. This is what I want to do. And hey, we we appreciate it. Uh, that big fast food chain, eh, they don't care one way or the other. I promise we care and we appreciate it. Check us out, whenitwascool.com.